Priceless peace. This is the second part of our message on blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, I said blessed, that's back in the King James, blessed are the peacemakers. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, verse 9, I can even see, verse 9. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Your version may, may say children of God, it really is sons. Children kind of broadens it out, makes it more inclusive, I guess. Last week, we looked at this concept of being a peacemaker, right? And I laid the foundation last week. And I said, we need peacemakers because of sin or rebellion against God. We are at conflict with him. We're at conflict within our own selves. And we're at conflict with the world around us. Because of sin. Sin is what introduces the need for peace, right? When I began the message last week, I talked about this meta-narrative, or this meta-narrative, this storyline that goes throughout the Bible, from the Garden of Eden to heaven, the, the heavenly garden, began with peace, as Adam and Eve were created by God perfectly in a place of perfection. Yet they rebelled against God, and when they rebelled, they sinned, and sin is what broke that peace. And so the storyline of the Bible is God restoring that peace and giving that back to us in the garden. But he had to do that through his son, Jesus Christ. Through his blood, he made peace for us. But it's because of sin, we have conflict with God, we have conflict within, we have conflict with the world around us, with others, right? Conflict is just a part of our existence. In our most intimate relationships, the people that we claim to love the most, we still have conflict. When I was a kid, this thought came to mind. I remember if you're older, you remember kind of the hippie generation, um, you know, that... You know, peace was, you know, this, this is when the peace came out, you know. And they're sticking flowers there into the barrel of these guns of these military officers, right? A lot of times when people think of peacemakers, certainly in the 70s when, you know, the song Let There Be Peace on Earth and Let It Begin With Me was out. I mean, this is what was in view here was end of war, right? We want that. We want there to be no more war. And we want harmony in personal relationships. That's a form of peace, and really, I think the, the peace that we're really looking towards is this inner peace, this wholeness, wellness, prosperity, this thriving, this harmony, welfare, tranquility. This is all that shalom entails in God's word. And so I mentioned that peace is more than just the absence of conflict, right? That's negative, okay? Take away the conflict, we have peace. Well, that's a part of it. But positively, we want all that God has for us as those created in his image, enjoying all that he has given us. Right? So here I write, peace is more than just the absence of conflict. Rather, it is the godly or right enjoyment of all that is good in all areas of life. And we'll look at this totality of life in just a minute. So in this passage, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. So you've been called to be a peacemaker. And a peacemaker is one who is at peace with God. That's where it begins. That's the foundation. We have to be at peace with God. We have a growing peace within. Right? And we are actively uh, at work. We should be at work there or we should be working. Actively working for peace in the world around us. There's got three areas that I'm looking at as we look at peacemaking. So last week the message was we're at peace with God. And um, that's where we shared the gospel last week. The gospel gives us hope that we can be reconciled to God and that God can be reconciled to us. 
has to begin with there. You will not have the peace that God wants you to have if you're at odds with God, if you're hostile towards God. Jesus Christ, we read about his death on the cross. Our punishment was placed on him so that we could have peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And so we can only be at peace peace with God through Jesus Christ. And my prayer for you this morning is that you have that peace. And if you don't, you simply need to cry out to God, trusting in the work of Jesus Christ alone on the cross for that peace. Secondly, you have to have a growing peace within. And we'll touch on that again in a minute. But the problem is you you can't give what you don't have, right? You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have peace... You can't bring peace into the world because what fills you will spill out of you when someone bumps into you. What fills you will spill out of you when somebody bumps into you. I said that before. So if you're a person who's not at peace, typically you're going to have some envy, right? You're not at peace because you don't have something you want and you feel like you would be at peace. You'd be complete. You'd have wholeness. You'd have welfare. You'd have prosperity. If you just had that thing, somebody else has got it and you want what they have and you're envious of it. You don't have peace and so you're putting envy out. So today, as we go through this text, as we do a topical message again on what it means to be a peacemaker, again, I'm going to go back to these commitments of a peacemaker. So I started, I gave you two last week. I have seven in total. This is not an inspired list. You could probably do more, okay? Uh, you may be able to make it more concise to make it less, but I have seven, right, because I'm at peace with the number seven. Seven commitments of a peacemaker. And the first one we looked at is this. I, as a peacemaker, I will pursue peace within through daily intake of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We're not going to be at peace if we have divided affections. We looked at praying to God when we wanted a pure heart. Lord, give me an undivided heart. I need my desires to be transformed. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our desires are changed by God as we take in his word through the power of the Holy Spirit. The second commitment of a peacemaker that we looked at was this. As a peacemaker, I will pursue peace within through continual thanksgiving and prayer. Right? And so, if, if we um, are looking out at, at life, and we're like, God, my life really stinks. That's the word we used to We used to word stinks. Now kids use a different word. My life stinks. I can't believe you would organize my life this way. I mean, really? After all I've done for you, God? I mean, look, I deserve better. Look what they have. All right? That rots your bones. That's not a heart at peace. Right? And, and so we have to have thanksgiving to God. We looked at the passage in Philippians. We're going to touch back on that passage again. Give thanks to God, praying to him. Thanks to God for what? For your circumstances, no matter what they are. So as we look at these qualities or characteristics of a peacemaker, right? the first two commitments were on point one and two. The next five are on point three. I'm going to go through them at a fairly rapid pace. So peacemakers are at peace with God, they're at peace within, and we work for peace in the world around us. Okay, we want that peace to come out of us. 
And so that leads us to the third characteristic or commitment of a peacemaker. As a peacemaker, I will plan for peace in the world around me by spreading the gospel of peace. So peace isn't just going to happen. You have to plan for it. You have to plan for peace. Proverbs 12.20. In the context here, really, there's dissension in the church, or in, in God's people. Okay, that's not the church at this point. Um, it depends on where you come from theologically, but okay, this is God's people, and there is dissension going on, right, in, in God's people. And you have to plan for the peace that God wants his people to have. And by extension, by principle, we have to plan for that same peace into the world. If you don't plan it, it's not going to happen. And so as we look at the world, do you really see how broken the world is? Do you look out at the world as Jesus did and have compassion? You look out at the world and you see sheep without a shepherd. And we're bombarded by devastation in the world because we're connected globally you know, by, the, by the internet, by social media, by a constant feed from the news sources. And we, we're constantly seeing, we see broken marriages, all right? We see broken families. We see disease. We see crime. You know, we see hunger. We see war. Right? We see corruption at all levels. We see how, how peace is not what characterizes the world. Do you see the world the same way God sees it? And that the greatest need that the world has, I mean, the world has all kinds of felt needs. If I just had this, I would really be at peace. The greatest need the world has is the gospel of peace. They don't see it, right? The world is broken. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life to the full. You may have abundant life. You may have the peace that you're intended to have. And so we should want what Jesus wants for us. We should want that for the world. And again, the answer isn't, you know, this was, I mentioned this song earlier, right? This is a song from the 70s. A bunch of kids with candles, you know, long hair, uh, big jeans, you know, singing, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. I mean, the world is, the world, you see this, the world is constantly striving for peace at all different levels. It's a constant search for peace. And they're not going to find it. It's only through the gospel of peace. And that's from Ephesians chapter 6. We're talking about the full armor of God. We have our feet. We have the, the gospel of peace. Our feet have the gospel of peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I preached the whole message on evangelism, right? Winning evangelism, the importance of evangelism. We evangelize because we're called to evangelize. We evangelize for the glory of God. And we evangelize regardless of the response that we get. We have a goal in mind. We want, we want to see peace restored in the life of the person who hears the gospel as they come in faith and repentance and the hostility that God has against them and that they have against God is removed and that relationship is restored. We have to plan for that kind of peace. And if you have a heartache for the world as you scroll through your newsfeed on a regular basis, you should be praying for peace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it should make you want to take the gospel of peace to those around you. 
So the gospel of peace is the answer. And as peacemakers, we have to plan for peace in the world around us through the gospel of peace. We must do that. Now, for the fourth one, as a peacemaker, I will plan for peace in the world. This is a long one, okay? So if you're taking notes, I'll give you a second. As a peacemaker, I will plan for peace in the world around me by proactively addressing ways in which my lack of peace adversely affects the peace of others. Right, so you have areas in your life, even those of you who are born again, trusting in Jesus Christ, right? We're a process in work. And so really an absence of peace is the presence of sin. And sanctification is, the, the, you know, the sin, we're taking off sin, we're putting on Christ. Okay, and as we put on Christ, then we grow in peace. That peace within us grows. But in the meantime, as we work through that, the fact that you don't have peace in your life adversely affects the peace that other people have. Now certainly, you know, you can say, oh well, okay, uh, I know I'm struggling right now, but Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. Alright? Let your gentleness, gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. He says, don't be anxious. Alright, so, if, if, if you're having a problem with the fact that I'm introducing you know, my lack of peace into the world, and that's a sin issue on your part, right? Because you're not trusting, are you really going to go there? And we have to think through our lives, right? The different areas. So this, this box represents a life, okay? And I've got four, again, you can have more boxes. And again, there's overlap. I don't have, you know, this is not perfect, okay? But I'm just trying to represent life, okay? And so, if anxiety represents the absence of peace in your life, it affects different areas in your life. And it's going to affect the people in those different areas of your life. Your lack of peace adversely affects others and their peace. You might say, hold on just a minute. I have anxiety, and you don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand the circumstances I'm going through. So don't be so flippant about what you're saying here and minimize what I'm going through, saying that I'm causing problems for other people. The fact of the matter is that Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so if you are filled with anxiety, your anxiety affects other people. Your anxiety robs people of the peace that God wants them to have. And so what fills you will spill out of you when someone bumps into you. And anxiety almost always leads to what? Anger. Anxiety is manifest many times in anger. Not always. But it can be manifest as anger. You might say, well, I'm able to kind of keep that to myself. That's not something that, that, that really, you know, I'm able to keep that under control. Well, the scripture says, no, if you are an angry person, other people will be affected by that. This is so clear in God's word. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Right? So you have anxiety, leads to anger, and what fills you will spill out of you when somebody bumps into you. You will affect other people by your lack of peace. It just happens. Maybe this is just like self-revelation. Maybe I'm just like, this is what happens in my life. Maybe this doesn't affect you. Maybe you don't get anxious 
And maybe you don't become angry because you get anxious. But let me ask you this. Do you know other people? Maybe this isn't you, okay? But do you know people who operate by crisis? Like there's always a crisis going on in their life. And then because they have a crisis, they complain. And they have anxiety. It's a part of it. And then they have anger. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you don't know somebody like that. But there are some people who operate by crisis. Does that person, when you think about that person, do they build other people up? Are they working for peace? Are they helping to, to um, work for peace in the life of those around them? Well, the answer is no. They rob people of peace. So don't be that person. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, really, is, is, is John Stott says, is we are people of nonconformity. We're not like the world around us. We're to be different people. We're to be characterized by these Beatitudes. And so as such, we'll see in a second, you're salt and light. You're bringing something different to the table. So don't be that person. You have to work for your, the peace within so that you can bring, bring peace without so that your lack of peace doesn't adversely affect those around you. And parents with kids, you know how you do that to your kids. I know how I've done that to my kids. So, instead of anxiety and anger, lack of peace, let your gentleness be evident to all, right? We looked at this passage last week, right? As, as we give proper thanks to God and recognition of the circumstances in our life, as we pray to him concerning those circumstances, we make our requests known to God, what? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Aren't you so glad that this passage is in God's word? Because we all struggle with this. We all struggle with this problem. And so thankfully, as we live out the truth of this passage, right, those red areas become smaller, some of them disappear. And so we become people of peace. And then when people bump into us, what spills out of us is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. And that's what we want to work for as peacemakers, right? As a peacemaker, I will plan for peace in the world around me by proactively addressing ways in which my lack of peace within affects, adversely affects the peace of others. You don't live in a vacuum. You do not live in a vacuum. What's going on inside here is eventually going to spill out and affect others. Christians, I think, are exceptionally good at like keeping that in, especially around other Christians. But then when you get to your home address and you're still around Christians, it kind of starts spilling out. But even though we try to live out the truth of Philippians 4, right? Conflict happens. Conflict is a part of our existence. We can't escape conflict. So Another commitment of a peacemaker is this, is I will seek to restore peace biblically when conflicts arise. So I think most people, when they think of being a peacemaker, this is where they go to, okay? I have to be a peacemaker and resolve conflict according to God's word. And that's important. It's extremely important. If we're going to be different than the rest of the world, if we're going to be nonconformists, if we're going to be salt and light, We can't handle conflict like everybody else in the world handles conflict. We have to handle it differently. And so that's why, I mean, I really, I was really burdened that we go through 
uh, resolving conflict. And we went through that study, and so I'm not going to reteach you know, all that we learned in that, but I am going to just kind of quickly review the points that we have, uh, that we learned in that study. Right, so don't check out on me if you did the study. Remember at the, the last lesson of the study, they were like, hey, you need to get your book out every once in a while and review this, right? I mean, how many of you, let me ask you this, because I know the answer in my own life. How many of you have since, since we finished that study, have been in conflict with somebody, and you're like, I did not handle that the way I learned to handle that? I, I've been there. I actually had to look at my wife and go, I just did not live out what we learned. <laughs> Please forgive me. So conflict is inevitable, right? James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's just a fact. They happen. Right? He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within, right? Those, that divided heart, those desires that are there, that lack of peace that you have. So you have conflict in your lives, he says. And that conflict ruptures relationships in all areas of your life. So you need to learn how to handle conflict in a way that honors God. Handle conflict biblically as a peacemaker. And Paul says, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, as much as you can do, live at peace with everybody. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat, right? That's not what we are. But we need to live at peace with all people, and Jesus makes this a priority, and we're going to see this in a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Well, you're going to church. you got your shiny church clothes on. You're a shiny, happy church person. All right? And you've got your face all ready, ready to sing praises. If there's somebody that has something against you, you need to resolve that before you come in. So he says in Matthew chapter 5, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift and there, there in front of the altar first and go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. See how important this concept of being a peacemaker is? Just as a question, how many of you have unresolved conflict this morning with somebody? I did. Thank you for your honesty. That was a rhetorical device, but we like the answers. So, we want to handle conflict biblically. As a peacemaker, I will seek to restore peace biblically when conflicts arise, right? So that concept of, of restoring peace involves resolving conflict, okay, There's the hostility is over, you resolve it, but really you're working towards reconciliation when the, re- the relationship is restored the way it should be. You don't always get reconciliation, but you need to move towards resolving the conflict that's there. So, so how do we do that, right? And in, as we lear- learned in our study, there were four Gs, four Gs. And if you didn't, um, if you weren't a part of that study, and you wish you were, and you know you need to know how to handle conflict in your life, we happen to have extra books here. Right? This is the textbook that goes with it, and it, it just kind of reviews the information. It's very, very good information. If you want one, come talk to me afterwards. So the first G is this, is, is conflict comes into my life. Is, is peace is destroyed in whatever relationship I will seek to glorify God first and foremost as I work for peace, right? You have to view this conflict as a way to glorify God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So this conflict is not something that you muddle through. It's like, okay, God, 
you've allowed this into my life. I want you to be glorified. I want the world around me to see how you would handle this through my life. I want you to be glorified. So it kind of, it, it kind of changes the way you think about conflict. That's the first G. The second G is I will remember the gospel that reconciled me to God. When your relationship with the other person is broken, when there is conflict there, remember the gospel of Jesus Christ as you enter into that, as you seek to resolve that, as you seek reconciliation. Remember that you once were hostile towards God, and God was hostile towards you, and God acted on His own. He came unilaterally, sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to give up His life, to shed His blood, to take away your sins so that peace could be restored. So that conflict between God and you could be taken away. Could be resolved. So remember the Gospel. Now if you know the study we went through, there's only four G's in Ken Sands. And they talk about the Gospel all the way through. I added a G and included the Gospel in there. The third G that we looked at is get real, right? Own your part. When you're in conflict with somebody else, you want to be a peacemaker, you're not going there saying, you know, with a list of all the things that they've done wrong, like that big plank is sticking out of your eye, you're like... Remember the first part, get, get real and get the plank out of your eye. Get the log out. You have to own your part, get the log out. You need to prefer that other person. And you need to develop an effective apology for what you own. Even if you only own, remember, 2% of it. The other person may be 98% at fault from what you can understand. And you, you've got 2% of it. You own that 2%. Deal with that 2%. You need to get the plank out of your eye before you move forward. The fourth G, gently engage the other person in the conflict. Right. So after you've done your part as a peacemaker, and in confessing your sin, and offering a good apology, how do you go to that person and say, hey, you know, there's, there's an issue here, and we need to work through it. Well, you do it gently. Engage that person gently if they struggle in sin. And then the fifth G, getting together with others in the conflict for lasting solutions, right? You want to move from re- just resolving it, just taking care of the problem, to Let's reconcile our relationship so that we have an ongoing relationship. How do we do that? Right, so those are, the, those are five G's. And I've gone through it quickly because we already went through that material. If you were part of the study, and if you weren't, I recommend getting this book. It's very helpful information. But it's not always possible. As a peacemaker, right, you're thinking, okay, we've got to have peace at, at all costs. There has to be peace we're going to take care of the situation so that everything's restored back the way it used to be. What well, That doesn't always happen. As much as is possible, as far as it depends on you, don't be a doormat, handle it biblically, live at peace with everybody. Because as a peacemaker, you will seek to resolve conflict biblically. Now to the sixth commitment of a peacemaker. As a peacemaker... I will actively pursue peace in the world around me through good works. Through good works. Now, why do I bring this up? Again, when we think about peace, we're talking about wholeness, wellness, prosperity, thriving, harmony, welfare, and tranquility. Remember the peace that God offers in His shalom. And you see the lives of others around you. And there's so much brokenness 
There's a lack of peace. And as a person, as you do good works, right, you are fulfilling what it means to be created in the image of God and bringing glory to God, living as Christ would live. Right? Christ, we look at the Gospels, we're going to see this in Matthew, he heals and he feeds. Right? And he does all kinds of good things. He's restoring peace into their lives. Did all of them come to faith in Christ? Well, no, they didn't. And certainly that's his desire, and that's our desire, right? As we do good, we want to spread the gospel of peace. But we want to spread the shalom of God into the world. We want to do good. Right? All that we know of peace flows from what we call is the overarching accurate of God, his goodness, the goodness of God. So, as we consider peace and all that it means, you've seen this slide before, let's look at Galatians chapter 6. Don't grow weary of doing good. For the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let us do good to all people. That includes those who hate God, those who reject the gospel of peace that you're proclaiming to them. Do good to all people. Right? We're going to see this in a few weeks. Right? Being salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. Right? There is God's common grace that has been bestowed upon the world. We talk about common grace. We're saying that God causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. God causes the rain to fall on the evil and the good. God gives the evil, the wicked people, He gives them family, he gives them jobs, he gives them houses, he gives them good health, he gives them joy in life. He gives them all these things because God is kind and he he gives it commonly to all people. And we're a part of bringing that to the world. We are salt. We preserve that which God wants the world to have. It's peace. We're also light. You are the light of the world, and that light there is, is good works. Right? He says, let your light shine before others so they may see what good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as peacemakers, we bring peace to the world through good works. It may or may not be attached to an explanation of the gospel. Hey, it's great if it can be. But you need not have the mindset that I'm only going to do good if I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a person. Okay, you're not somehow being a lesser Christian if you don't share the gospel every time you do good works with people, okay? That needs to be a goal. That should be what you're working towards ultimately, right? Because, you know, if a person has temporary peace in the world and they're, they're, you know, on the fast track to hell, we're not doing them any favors. So, as a peacemaker... All right, we need to pursue the lives, uh, peace in the lives of everyone around us, okay? But also, especially in the church, we need to pursue peace in the lives of others in the church through good works, prayer, and encouragement. Right back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers, right? So do good to all people, but who gets priority? People in the family of God. People in the family of God. I got a call a few weeks ago from a lady who needed help in Hamtramck, and uh, I immediately farmed it off to somebody else. 
but that wasn't enough, right? So I had to go back and, and, and talk to this person. And I, I took my wife with me. We went in there, and um, I wanted to figure out, okay, how can we help this person in a way that pleases God? And so came into the house, and there's, like, shoes lined up. I'm like, oh, this, this lady doesn't live alone. I was thinking she was a widow, you know? And she started talking about her husband and her kids. And I was like, so you need us to cut your grass for you? You need us to do this and that? I'm like, where is your family? Where's your husband? Where are your kids? Now, we want to do good for you, right? I said, I said we're a small church. Our resources are limited. We want to do good to people in the community. But as a pastor, I have to watch over our flock, and I can't stretch them so thin that they go crazy pulling their hair out. And if you have a husband and kids who can take care of you, well, then your husband and kids need to take care of you. And so I said, the scriptures say, do good to all people, especially of those of the household of faith, right? So as a pastor, we have to take care of ourselves first. And if we can, we take care of people outside the house. That principle shouldn't be lost on anybody, right? What good is a man if he takes care of everybody around him but doesn't take care of his own family? And so I bring that up for a couple reasons, okay? You know, one is to help you to understand, you know, how we operate as a church and doing good to people, right, and bringing peace into the world, but to help emphasize that the church is a special place. You guys are the body of Christ, you are family. You are brothers and sisters. And so we take care of each other first. You should first and foremost be concerned about bringing peace into the lives of people in the church that God has given you. And so Paul says in 14, uh, Romans 14, 19, he says, So then let us pursue it, what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. All right, so the context here in Romans 14 and 15 is, is, is Christian liberty. How do you exercise it? You don't exercise Christian liberty at the expense of a brother or sister in Christ. You don't want to cause friction in the church by the way you're living. Now, you want to live in such a way that promotes peace in the church and for mutual upbuilding. Now, certainly upbuilding begins on the inside. Okay, how can I help my brother or sister in Christ be more like Christ? Is there more like Christ they're less like the world. As they're more like Christ, they have the peace within that God wants them to have. And they're better equipped to bring peace to the world. And so we need to be concerned in the body of Christ about bringing peace to each other here. This wholeness, this wellness, this prosperity, this thriving, this harmony, this welfare, this tranquility. But as I always say, you know what? If you don't have anything to bring, you can't bring anything, right? Right? So I, I've talked about this before, you know, the potluck. What would people think of you if you're having a potluck? The family, the church family is getting together, and we're going to have a meal together. We're going to enjoy fellowship together. And you show up, and you walk through the door, and you have an empty bowl, and you set it down there on the table. And Jessica looks at you and goes, that's bowl's empty. <laughs> right? and, and you're like, it is empty. Well, you're supposed to bring something. Well, I don't have anything to bring. Well, why don't you have something to bring? Because I didn't prepare. Well, why didn't you prepare? And you get the point here. If you're not working for the peace within that God wants for you, then you're not going to have the peace to give to others when you come together with the body of Christ. And we're commanded to pursue peace and to work for mutual upbuilding. So the axiom is, or the truism is this, you can't give what you don't have. 
You can't give what you don't have. If you don't have peace, you can't bring peace. When we first started having potlucks, um, we used to do a, a fellowship dinner every every Sunday or every fourth Sunday. This is back in the day before you guys. I don't think you guys were part of it. Sam, every fourth Sunday we did a fellowship dinner at the church, and it was a potluck. And it was an education for me. Uh, it was interesting how that went down. Um, uh, you know, but but people sometimes felt like you know they didn't like potlucks because they didn't cook, or they didn't have uh, you know the ingredients that they needed to make something to bring. And so they were kind of embarrassed to come because they just they couldn't bring. And so, so the attitude was, I don't really want to go because for some people, now some people don't care, right? Some people, they don't mind. They're going to come like this no matter what. And they'll expect you to fill that up. They want to soak the peace out of you. But some people feel like, I just can't. I, I, I can't do it. I don't, I, 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 I don't have anything to bring. I don't have that peace, Jay. My life is just in turmoil. You just, I just don't have it. I mean, all right, all of us are working towards it. All of us are working towards it. All of us are working towards what God wants us to bring to the church. And we all have a part to play because we can't. Right, so if you're saying, I can't, you need to remember that God will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on him. Great peace have those who love your law. If you want to fill up your bowl, fill up your mind with the word of God and fill up your time with prayer. And then you'll be prepared for mutual upbuilding that the church needs. Jesus, did, you know, Jesus was stingy. He didn't say, I might give you some peace. I'll give you peace if you do this, this, and that. No, he says, my peace will leave with you. My peace I give to you. Right In the context, I said last week, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But the moment you come to faith in Christ, you receive God's Holy Spirit within you. So we're all on a level playing field. If you know Christ, you have the Spirit of God living within you. You have the Spirit of peace within you. So you have the possibility of peace. Every one of you has access to God's Word. He will keep in per- perfect peace the one whose mind is steadfast on Him through His Word. Great peace have those who love his law. So you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got his word. You have all the makings that you need to be ready for the potluck. To be ready for the fellowship dinner at church. There's no excuses. So you are called to be a peacemaker. One who is at peace with God, has a growing peace within, and actively pursues peace in the world. The first point, peacemakers are at peace with God. They have a growing peace within. They work for peace around them. And the blessing is what? They're called a child of God. What does that mean? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Well, how is the world going to recognize you if you're not different than the world? If you're living differently than the world, if you are growing at peace within, and you're bringing peace to the world, that's going to stand out to the world. Something's different about that person. They come from a different family. They're not like that family over there. They're they're a different family 
They live differently. Oh, they're of that family. The family of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Don't you want to be called a child of God? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So let's pray. And pray that God would make us the peacemakers that He wants us to be. Gracious Father, we thank You for um, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. We thank You for the, the Gospel of Peace. Father, we thank You that our sins were placed on Him so that we can have peace. Father, we thank You for the peace that You promised to us if we invest time in Your Word, as we invest time uh, in, in studying Your Word and knowing Your Word and obeying Your Word. Father, we thank You for the Spirit of peace who comes to live within us at the moment of salvation. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not have peace this morning, who knows they're struggling to have any type of peace, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand if you would.